0: So we're going to be in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're going to look at what the focus of our praise should be. Again, in our society today, I believe part of the reason why Thanksgiving has just become a day of feasting and not really a day of Thanksgiving is because to who would they focus their praise? To who would the world focus their thanksgiving? Themselves. Well, we know our focus needs to be on God. And as we go through life, we need to remember and not forget to praise the Lord for who He is. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 11, reading verses 33 through 36. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. And if you are physically able, if you would please stand with me as we read Romans 11, 33 through 36, and a message entitled, The Focus of Our Praise. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things To whom be glory forever. Amen. And so I want us to examine this passage this way this morning. Just two simple points. First, we're going to see the greatness of God in verses 33 through 35. The greatness of God. And then we're going to conclude with the glory of God in verse 36. You and I need to praise the Lord for his unsearchable ways and his amazing grace. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much, again, for your love, your goodness, your grace to us. And Lord, as we focus this morning on the direction of our praise, where our praise should be focused, obviously, toward you, Lord. As we take time to praise you and recognize who you are and what you've done, again, Lord, may it help us to trust you more, to live by faith. And Father, I pray that throughout this week we would continue to... Just remember the goodness that you've poured out upon us and say thank you. But not this week only, but Lord, may we as Christians truly have an attitude of gratitude that constantly is saying thank you. And Lord, again, I pray that you'd work in hearts this morning, especially if there's one this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior. May today be the day they recognize their need of salvation. And we'll be careful to give the praise and glory for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank You You may be seated. You ever just stop and think of the greatness of God's ways? God is so great. We are truly so small. And we can never comprehend all the ways of God. So as Paul is writing, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, some of you have been here when I explained about Hebrew poetry and how it, it, it uses parallelism. And this verse, Paul seems to use that Hebrew poetical style in the writing as he's talking about the riches and, and the wisdom and knowledge of God and the judgments of God and his ways that are past finding out. He's just trying to come up and, and explain to us how big our God is and how great our God really is. Because God's ways are so far above our ways, are they not? You know, it is interesting to me, as we just had our memory verse in Sunday school, that God gave us dominion over this earth, and he told us to subdue this earth. And as man has followed that command, and we do true science, the more we discover about the intricacies of what God has truly designed. It is absolutely amazing, is it not? When you look at the under a microscope and all the microscopic things going on inside of even like a tiny drop of water and all the, you know, and then you get down even further and it just all the amazing things that God has created to the vastness of space that we still can't explore all of it. And yet the creator just spoke it all into existence. What wonderful ways of our God, what wonderful power of our God, and it makes me question, why do I have such a hard time trusting God in all details of life? It really seems foolish to lack faith when we know that God has such power, such greatness, such wisdom, such knowledge. Why then do I struggle in trusting him in the simplicity of my life? You know, we think our lives are so complex, but you compare it to what God has created, they're pretty simple. And yet he cares about every detail of your life. You see, we need to focus on the greatness of God's ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." You know, take a young child. They don't reason quite the same way an adult does. Well, let me rephrase that. True, mature adults, okay? Because some adults still don't reason like they should. They still reason like children, right? Okay, a child doesn't understand that, hey, when I am given money, Maybe I should put some of this in savings and save it for the future. No, when a child's given money, what are you supposed to do with it? Spend it. Unfortunately, many adults still live that way, right? But the point being is that as you mature, you're supposed to think differently than what you did before. So it is with us, if you will, in comparison to the wisdom and knowledge of God. We really know nothing. We're like children compared to God. Or here's another illustration. Okay, if I were to look at an airplane, so I'll use the C-130 since I was with the 130 squadron. I can tell you certain parts in the airplane and I, I can maybe give you the basic physics of how it flies. And I also know, because I was told by one of the Marines, he says, Doc, here's my safety brief. First time I flew into C-130. See those packs right there? If we start running toward them, you might want to grab yourself one and follow us. But, cool. That's all I knew was grab a parachute, figure out how to throw it on before I jump out the door and that was it. So, <laughs> and I did count how many parachutes there were and how many Marines were in the plane. And I wanted to sit awfully close to those parachutes. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but I could tell you very little about the aircraft. You know, some of you in this room used to be aircraft mechanics. You could tell a whole lot more about that aircraft than I could. But I'll tell you who could probably tell you more detail is the guy who designed the thing, right? He could tell you a lot of detail about that aircraft. So, again, God designed me. God designed this world in which I live. God has set out my course of my life for me. He knows all those details. I don't. Then why don't I simply just trust him and thank him that he knows. And he knows what's right. He knows the way. I just simply got to follow. We have a hard time with that sometimes though, don't we? But if we stop and think about the greatness of God versus our insignificance, we start to understand more. I can trust him. I can trust him. This is part of the reason why it's so important we stop and learn to be thankful people. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth, unsearchable. It cannot be searched out. You know, there are still depths in our ocean that we still can't search. I guess we're getting better at it, and man has gone deeper and deeper. But the pressure in the depths of the ocean would still crush most if we had a man vessels, they would crush them. But the idea being is there's even parts of our earth that we still can't explore, let alone all the vastness of what God has created. So as we think about the greatness of God's ways, we can never comprehend the ways of God. We see God is rich in wisdom. Oh, the depths of uh, uh, of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Not only is God rich in wisdom, but he's also rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Aren't you glad of that? If you thank God for his great mercy, his rich mercy. He's rich in grace. Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's the grace of God that provided a way of salvation. It's the grace of God that redeemed me. Have I stopped and thanked God for His grace? Here's a good one: God is rich in patience, Romans two four. Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? I've asked this question before, and you don't have to raise your hands. But how many of you were saved the first time you heard the gospel? Most of you did did not were not saved the very first time you heard the gospel. Aren't you glad God is long-suffering and patient and gave you more than one opportunity? Or how many times have you failed God in the same thing and you've had to go back to God and say, God, forgive me, I have failed again, I have sinned again. In the same thing. Aren't you glad that he's long-suffering and still forgiving and hasn't said, you know what? Remember that 70 times 7, this is 489. One more and you're done. God is rich. In glory, Romans nine twenty-three, and that He might make known the riches of His glory, on the vessels of mercy, which He had prepared unto glory, Philippians four nineteen. But my God shall supply all your need, according to His riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Goes back to what I said at the beginning of service, talking about contentment. Choosing to say, God, I'm satisfied with what you've given. I'm satisfied with what you've provided. We live in such a self serving, materialistic society that I think many don't even understand what that means. Whether I have great riches or I have poverty, I can still say thank you, Lord. Whether I have No matter what state I'm in, as Paul said, I can still learn to be content and say, thank you, God, for what you've given me. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. So it says, oh, the depths of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Knowledge is learning facts. Well, God knows all. So there's no facts hidden from God. Wisdom is the proper application of that knowledge. God is perfect. He knows perfectly how to apply that knowledge. I wish we knew how to apply the knowledge that we have sometimes. But I'm glad God said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it all men liberally and abradeth not. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You want to have proper wisdom? have a proper respect and understanding of who God is. A proper awe of the greatness of God. And this is partly how this ties in with thanksgiving, is the understanding the greatness of God's ways, understanding his greatness, helps us then to understand my um, fear, my proper awe of God that helps me have what? Wisdom. How do I apply the facts that I've learned? How do I have discernment in life? Fear God, trust God. We make things so complicated, but trust God. That's the beginning of wisdom. You want true wisdom, trust God, ask God. I was doing some work on my vehicles the other day. The battery on my van had been dead for a few days and I hadn't gotten around to it. And then I went out and I had a flat tire on the car. It's like, well, I guess it's time to take care of it. So I was fighting with something. I don't remember what it was. It was either the tire, but I think it was the battery. Something was going haywire with the battery. And my wife says to me, being the spiritual lady that she is, and wonderful lady she is, she goes, did you stop and pray about it? No. So you know what I did? I listened to my wise wife. And as I'm continuing to work on it, I said, Lord, you know how this is supposed to go, and it'd be nice if you'd show me how this is supposed to go. It was a bathroom sink. That's what it was. Something else broke. It was a bathroom sink. We've been having a fun week at our house, okay? And so I prayed about it, and it all went back together, and it still didn't work. But anyhow, the point being is, do we really stop and think God has the answer, He knows how it's supposed to work. He knows how it's supposed to go. I learned that, and I should have learned it. Years ago, I had a, uh, I think it was my alternator, went out on my van. And Pastor Rick Aldridge stopped to help me, and we were having a hard time getting the belt back on. And he stops, and he says audibly, he goes, Lord, I know you know how this belt goes back on this van, but it'd certainly be nice if you'd help us understand it. And within five minutes, he had it back on. And I looked and I was like, well, that's so simplistic because men, let's face it. What is our typical response? That'll take care of it. Right? That made it all better. Get mad and stomp and throw our tools and kick it. And I just kicked the pulpit almost off the platform. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what we do, isn't it? And that helped how? Doesn't it make more sense maybe just to stop and say, Lord, I need your wisdom here. It'd probably help our blood pressure a whole lot better too. (laughs) Who can know the mind of the Lord? Verse 34. What a question. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? The answer is none of us. As I've said many times, there are many things about God that we cannot explain. But if we could explain everything about God, that would make him a very small God. The fact that there's things about God that we cannot explain shows how great our God is. Now, what we do know about God, he has revealed to us. And I'm thankful he chose to reveal himself to us, aren't you? Folks, it's important we're in the word every day. It's important you're here for every church service to hear the word preached. And not for my sake, but for your sake. And I don't understand when people don't want to be faithful to hearing the word because that's where we hear God's revelation of himself to us. But as I said, there are things about God that I cannot explain. We just sung a song that talked about glory, glory to the Father, glory, glory to the Son, glory, glory to the Spirit, glory to the great three in one. Explain that to me. You can't. We, we know God's a trinity. We know he's three distinct persons, one God. But we can't explain that, can we? Every explanation we try to give of it falls short. Here's another one. How is it God can be 100 percent complete sovereign? He's in control of absolutely everything. Yet he has given man a free will to choose to do as he will. And yet both work in parallel. How is that even possible? Explain that to me. No matter what you choose, God's will is still going to be accomplished, but you can choose to do whatever you want. That blows my mind. But both are truths. That really shows how big our God is. Explain everywhere present simultaneously, called omnipresence. How can God be here and in Asia and Africa and Europe and South America and all the other planets and all across the universe and everywhere simultaneously? How is that possible? I don't know. But I'll tell you the one that really should blow our mind. How is it God could love his creation so much that before he ever made man, knowing that man would sin against him, knowing that man would break his heart, he loved his creation so much that he had already determined that his son was going to become a man and die on the cross of Calvary to pay for man's sin. How can that be? Who hath known the mind of God? not I. Or who hath been his counselor? Oh, we've all tried this one. Well, God, let me help you out. You don't seem to understand. Let me tell you how this should actually work. You ever think how foolish that really looks or really is in reality? No one has been God's counselor. So why do we act like we need to correct or inform God? Now, some may ask then, well, wait a minute. So if God already has all knowledge and he already knows and nobody can be his counselor, then why bother praying? Good question. When we pray, we're not praying to give God new knowledge. He already knows. You know why we pray? To show our dependence on the one who can answer the prayer. That's why we need to pray. Because we're coming to him as a child comes to the father With a petition, knowing the Father has the answer, but I don't. And we're petitioning our Father. That's why we need to pray. Jeremiah 23, 8. For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, and who hath perceived and heard His word, who hath marked His word and heard it? You've probably heard this saying before, but it's worth repeating. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Verse 35. Or or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. God owes no man anything. Let me say that again. God owes no man anything. We have an obligation to God, but he has no obligation to us. Now, you know what's amazing to me? God has put obligations on himself. He has said, if you are my child, I promise I will supply your needs. That's an obligation he put upon himself. But you know what he owes me? Nothing. And if he gave me nothing, it's still better than I deserve. God has never needed to borrow from a man. God himself provided the perfect plan of salvation because there was no other way for it to be accomplished. And God freely offers it to all. He doesn't hold back and say, you know what? I think I'm going to offer salvation to this half of the room, but this half of the room, nah, he offers it to all. Well, we could stop there, and that's plenty for which to be thankful and plenty to focus our praise, is it not? But we have one more point, and that is the glory of God. So as we're focusing our praise, we focus on the greatness of God's ways, and then secondly, on the glory of God. For of him, verse 36 says, and through him and to him. So let's go through those. Of him. God is the creator of all. The Hebrew word, when it talks about God created, the word has the idea of created from nothing. So before creation, God. In the beginning, God started time. God created heaven, space, space and earth matter. And then it talks about the Holy Spirit moved, energy. And God took the building blocks that he created out of nothing and started just speaking. And it all starts assembling into a sun and a moon and stars and the earth and dry gra- ground and then plants growing on the dry ground and animals in the ocean and animals in the, in the sky and animals in this earth and all the beauty and all the wonderful things that we see God spoke it all into existence, and then on day six, he says, I'm going to finish my creation with something very special, very unique, and he reaches down in the dust of the ground, and he forms Adam. I'll tell you, folks, people ask, what's the value of life? God gave me value. He created me something unique. He reached down in the dust of this earth, and he made man. And then Obviously, we know when Adam named all the animals and he saw that they all had uh, male and female and he realized there was none for him, God puts him to sleep and he perfects uh, Adam, completes Adam by creating a help meet for him, a spouse for him. And it troubles me the way I hear marriage demeaned and put down and joked about in our society today because you know what? It is a beautiful creation of God and God created Adam, and he was incomplete without Eve. And so he created her for him. Are you thankful for your spouse today? Are you thankful God created you? You know, he only created one of you. Nobody else is exactly put together like you are. John 1 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. But Paul continues, he says, for of him and through him. You know, not God, God not only is the creator of all, but he is the sustainer of all. I'm not in control of how long I'll be on this planet. God is. Somebody younger than you died today. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. The word consist there has the idea of held together. What holds this world together? The power of God. The power of God holds it together. In Daniel 5.23, we're told that God even holds your very breath. Daniel says, But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and brought these vessels of house the Lord before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines, have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass and iron, wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose all are all thy ways hast thou not glorified pretty powerful Daniel standing before the king saying, you're praising all these false gods, but the God who holds the very breath of your life, you've not glorified. So look again at verse 36. For of him, he is the creator, through him, he is the sustainer, and to him. Again, Colossians 1.16 says, all things were made for him. That's why God created things. And you know, The trees praise God by growing and reaching up to the sky and doing what trees do. They praising God, being a tree. Squirrels praise God by being a squirrel. I just wish God had given them a little bit more decision-making capabilities. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go left? Do I go right? Too late. (laughs) I kind of feel bad for some of the squirrels that come over to our house. Because they always get into our bird feeder, and they eat all the bird seed and get themselves so fat, then they go back running across the highway, and they sit there trying to figure out which way to go, and they're so fat they can't move anyhow, and then they all get splatted and run over. That's what they get for stealing my bird feeder. You know, a deer does what it does to the glory of God, evading the hunter. Right, Rich? Man is the only creation of God that has a choice to either glorify God or not glorify God. The only creation that has that choice is you and I. But we were made for him, and he wanted something unique from us. He didn't want us to instinctually glorify God by doing our instinctual things like he created all the animal kingdom to do. So he created us unique in giving us a free will to choose to glorify him or not to glorify him. What a responsibility, a privilege that is given to mankind. And how dare we not take what God has given us and glorify him with our whole heart, soul, and mind and body. Because it belongs to him. I didn't create this body. God did. I didn't create this mind. God did. I didn't make me the me that I am with the personality I have. God did. And so he deserves the glory for it all. I didn't give myself the ability to work. God did. And so he deserves the glory for it. Anything in life, God deserves the glory, not me because everything is about Him. It's for Him. That's why He created us, for Him. Now, I have met those that say, well, that's a pretty selfish God you serve. Is it? Because remember, as I said earlier, this creation that God created, mankind chose to rebel against Him, yet He loved us enough that He sent His only Son to die for us. He's the ultimate example of love. He is love. And so... To say, I created you for me, is not selfish. It's part of God's plan. But we need to give God the glory now. Because God's plan will be accomplished. Right? We already talked about the sovereignty of God. Every knee will bow. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Of the Father. Every tongue is going to confess, every knee shall bow before Jesus Christ. And it's better to bow the knee now in submission to Him, acknowledging our sinfulness, coming to Him for salvation, and then continuing to bow the knee, Christian, and trusting Him throughout life, than to stand in defiance against God. But those that do will still bow the knee someday before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ but it will be too late. They will be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity. God deserves the glory. And so, let's remember God's ways are far above our ways. And God deserves the glory for all he has done. So let us praise God for his ways. Let us praise God for his amazing grace and let's focus our praise on him. Let us bow forward to prayer.